Well, good morning again, church family. It's good to see you. Those of you that may be joining us online, welcome to First Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Mark, and I'm excited because I think you can feel Christmas in the air. There was certainly joy this morning hearing the kids share the Christmas story. Thank you, Mark and Linda, for all your time with our kids and for those of you that practice at home with them. It sounded great. We are quickly moving towards Christmas Day and the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. And here we are at the midpoint of our Advent celebration. We've lit the third candle, the candle of joy, and we've been discovering the heart of Christmas. We can get so caught up in the gifts, the decorations, the parties, that we can miss the central focus of Christmas. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born to bring us the gifts that we celebrate through Advent, the gift of hope, hope for a future, the gift of peace, peace with God and peace with the world around us. Today we'll talk about joy and then next week the amazing love of God that was shown as he sent his own son to be our savior. The first week as we looked at hope, we saw that in the middle of our circumstances, because of God's great faithfulness, we can trust him and we can find hope in him for the future. Last week as we looked at the wonderful gift of peace, we saw that God's shalom, his completeness, is only possible because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That we could be made right with God our creator and that we could have peace with people that we interact with, with our families, with our neighbors, with other people around us, there is lasting peace through Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're introducing the next gift at the heart of Christmas, an unspeakable joy that can be yours no matter what the circumstances are going on right now. So as we start our discussion today, I just have a couple of different scenarios, maybe things that have happened already this month as you're getting ready for Christmas. If this thing brings you joy, you can raise your hand or you can say joy or whatever you want to do to say, yes, this would bring me joy. You're in line at your favorite coffee shop. I'm not sloganing anybody in particular, but you can see the name there. And you you ordered your favorite holiday beverage and you're excited about getting it. And as you come up to the window, you find out that it's been paid for you already. Someone paid it forward and you're just enjoying that delicious coffee for free. Would that bring you joy? Yes. All right, here's the next one. You wake up on Christmas morning, and this is controversial for some people. You know where I stand on this, but you wake up on Christmas morning, you throw open the curtains, you lift up the blinds, and there's a fresh coating of snow on Christmas morning. Everything is glistening and white. Would that bring you joy? Maybe it means shoveling later, but it brings me joy. And then the last one, you get finally to either Christmas Eve or Christmas morning when your family is gathered together and that present that's been under the tree that you've been wondering about, maybe you shook it a few times, you weighed it and tried to figure out what might be in there and you got just what you wanted most for Christmas. Does that bring you joy when you've been looking forward to getting something and someone gives you a thoughtful gift? Well, in each of these situations, we saw good reasons for joy. 
But for many of us, it's like these situations. Our joy in life is often directly connected to circumstances. It's to what's happening around us. The weather, the free coffee, the gift. And without those things, sometimes our joy ebbs away instead of filling us up. What I believe is the most important aspect of Christmas is that Jesus came so that our joy might be full and not have to fluctuate with our environment. And just like these other gifts of hope and peace, it's something we choose. We can choose to ignore the joy of Jesus Christ, or we can choose to accept it, embrace it, and make it part of our lives. The Gospel of John is different from the other three Gospels. I've mentioned this before, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. They each follow very clearly the life of Jesus Christ. And then John comes along and writes this amazing Gospel of God's love and of God reaching out to people. And as he tells the Christmas story, instead of our traditional nativity with the angels and the shepherds and Mary, Joseph, he goes right to a big picture explanation of what was really taking place in Bethlehem. What John wrote is cause for joy no matter what we are facing in life. Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. You can follow along on the screen or on your Bible. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, to his own people, and they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is describing here is called the incarnation. It comes from the Latin word carne. And if you, like me, are a carnivore and you enjoy meat, that's where we get the word carne. It means flesh. God came in flesh. God, who is spirit, is all-powerful, came and put on human flesh the very flesh that he created. And as he became one of us, he came to show us his glory. He came to show us what God looks like if he were here standing among us. That was part of the mission of Jesus Christ here on earth. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh. And if you look at your copy of scripture, the word, word, is a capital W because it's talking about Jesus. The Greek word there is logos, and that means word or communication. Jesus was actually the communication of God himself. He came in human flesh. He lived here on earth so that we could understand just who God is. God describes himself as a father. He describes himself as having a mighty arm and being faithful. He gives us some of these human personifications, and he describes Jesus as the Son of God. But those things are not literal. Those are things for helping us understand just who God is and how this Trinity works, that there's a Father and that there's a Son who is submitting to the will of the Father. 
and there's a spirit who comes to indwell us. So as Jesus was born in the manger, Isaiah called him Emmanuel, God with us. No longer God in the heavens, no longer God in a pillar of fire or in the cloud that Israel followed, but now God with us, walking among us, living among us in flesh and skin and bone. Jesus is described as the word because he is that message from God. And the message, as we see at the end of this passage, is full of grace and truth. God's message is that he is bringing us grace. He's bringing us unmerited favor. He's blessing us when we've done nothing at all to deserve it. That's grace. And he came completely in truth. He is who God is, and there's nothing false in him. That's the good news of the gospel, that everyone who would believe in him, it says who would believe in his name, the name of Jesus, would be saved and could become the children of God. There are a lot of churches that especially at Christmas time love to just say, we're all God's children. God created us. He created this earth and he has a desire for us to know him. But this verse tells us that it's only through believing in Jesus Christ. It's only through the name of our Savior that we can become children of God. And that's important that there is a step that we have to take in accepting this gift, accepting this Savior. And the joy that we can realize is what Christmas is all about. The joy that could come to all people on whom God's favor would rest, on whose God's grace would rest. This passage gives us two reasons for joy, and it has nothing to do with the season. It has nothing to do with whether there's snow on Christmas morning, as much as I would love that. It has nothing to do with that delicious hot coffee with extra cream that was free. It has to do with God coming to us, the incarnation, and that's a reason for our joy. It can be a constant in our lives, and it can have a grounding attitude in the face of whatever you see in the news, whatever is happening at work, whatever is happening in your family, and maybe you're stressed about those family gatherings, but you can still have joy because God came to you. God came down from heaven to live here on earth, and that's our Second main point, that God came to us. A lot of people have the wrong idea about how to be right with God. And they work super hard to be perfect or they're striving to find a way to reach Him. One of the greatest joy robbers in our lives is thinking that we can never be good enough. Waking up each morning and thinking, I'm just never going to make it. God's never going to accept me. It's never going to be right because I can just never do it. If we'd admit our struggles like me, you probably would admit that you're broken and that you're flawed and you really can never be good enough. We make mistakes. We live selfish lives. We hurt the people that we love, often the most. And if we're relying on our own abilities, our own internal goodness, to earn a connection with God, we'll always be disappointed and we'll always be lacking that real joy. Our lives can often look like a messy disaster from our perspective. It can be hard for us to even find a reason for joy. And we look at our circumstances and we look closely and we think there's just nothing going on right here. And it's so easy to make that list, isn't it? 
If only my family was like this. If only my kids lived up to this. If only my marriage was that way. If only my work. And we can come up with all of these onlys, ifs, only ifs, if onlys, and think nothing is going right. Nothing is as good as it could be or as it should be. But if we look into the Christmas story, we see that God came near in the midst of all of that. The same things that go on in our lives today were going on in the people's lives 2,000 years ago. There was darkness. They had no hope. And they needed the light. And John says the light, the true light, was coming into the world. The world that he made didn't even know him. The people that he came to, his own chosen people, Israel, rejected him. But it says to all who would believe, to all who would accept this gift, he would give joy. So it can be hard for us to find joy when we're just looking at what's happening immediately in our lives, what's happening right around us. And tempted, we're tempted often to be hopeless in that and think it's just not going to get any better. It's been like this for years. What's going to change? And the problem is we're looking at it from our perspective. We're looking at it from the term that we use, which is religion. Religion means man's attempt or a person's attempt to reach God themselves. How do I connect to God? In other words, what do I need to do to please God? What do I need to do to avoid his anger and judgment? What do I need to do? And most religions throughout the world focus on a list of do's and don'ts. Even in our own Christian faith, you may have had the Ten Commandments drummed into you as a kid, and you can still list them all and realize, yeah, I fail at these just about every week. Not all of them, hopefully, but a number of them you're struggling with, just as I am. As an example, do you know the five pillars of Islam? That's one of the biggest religions that's spreading throughout the world. The first one is a belief in Allah, a belief in his prophet Muhammad. You need to pray five times a day. You need to give alms to those in need. You need to fast during the feast of Ramadan. It's not a feast, but it's a fasting time. And then you need to, sometime in your life, make a pilgrimage to Mecca. And these are described as the pathways to God. These are the pillars of the faith. And if you do all five of these and you reach the end of your life, hopefully, God will accept your work and say, come on in. They sound like mostly good things to do, but they're all about a man or a woman's journey to reaching God. They're all about things that we need to do to reach God, to appease God, to make God happy with what we've done. A British preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God seeking man. Christianity is not a religion, it's a faith. It's a relationship with God, and it's God reaching out and seeking lost people. It was God coming to us and saying, I love you, and I am going to make the way for you to know me. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You will have eternal life if the Father draws you to me, and you accept me as your Savior. So we see that joy is at the heart of Christmas, because we're knowing 
we know that we could never make it to him on our own. God came to us. It's the only faith in the world, Christianity, where the deity, the God that is needed, comes to unite with humanity. Without Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, without his blood paying for my sins, I would have no way of peace with God, and I would have no joy in my life. So that's why as we celebrate Christmas, we don't just leave baby Jesus in the manger. It's a beautiful scene, and it's seeing the shepherds and the angels up here just always warms our hearts, but we have to remember that he came with a purpose. He came with a mission, and that was to give his own life as a sacrifice. That's the key to peace at Christmas. That's the peace to hope, the key to hope and the key to joy. Paul makes this strong statement in the book of Romans, and he insists that we can only be saved through Jesus. It's not Muhammad, it's not Krishna, it's not Buddha, it's not just enjoying time in the woods with God's creation. It says it's only God himself. Listen to Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 to 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Paul is, in, is encouraging us with the idea that God doesn't have a naughty and nice list, that we have to work hard to get off the naughty list and get, a, get onto that good list. The gift of God's grace is offered to us generously without price because we could never afford to pay it ourselves. It says, while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. And that's why the people of the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, the angels, the shepherds, that's why they were so filled with joy as Simeon was standing in the temple and saying, I've seen my Savior. The long-awaited arrival of the Messiah meant that God had finally come to rescue us. The first reason for joy is that God came to us. And the second reason is a constant reality in our lives when we recognize just how much God loves us. He's committed to our transformation through the power, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And he loves us so much that he would save us while we were still despicable, while we were still sinners, while we were still turning our back from us, he would reach out and offer salvation. But he doesn't leave us in that state. He then brings through the power of the Holy Spirit a change in our lives, lives that start to look more and more like the glory of God, more and more like Jesus Christ. As we look further in John chapter 1, we find the author telling his readers that through Jesus we see the glory, we see the fullness of God. And remember from last week, that word fullness is shalom, God's peace, his fullness and completeness 
we can see that through Jesus Christ. Jesus' arrival should fill us with joy, not only because God came close to us, but because he loves you. Do you realize that? That you are completely loved by God? You're not just tolerated. He's not just being patient with you. He's not putting up with you. He loves you deeply. John says that this love that God has for us is like the father, that of a father for his children. And Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. A key to understanding this second reason for abiding joy is that Jesus came full of grace. This word grace that John is using, I mentioned before, is unmerited favor. The Greek word is charis, and it means kindness or a gift or a blessing. Like a wrapped gift underneath the Christmas tree that you've shared with somebody else and you're excited about seeing them open, that's God's blessings for us, his grace that he just gives us over and over again. It's something we haven't earned. It's something we haven't deserved. But God offers us to it, to, offers it to us. And when we recognize that, when we accept it, it can fill us with joy, knowing that it's God's love and not my work that is bringing me into a relationship with him. It's not what I can do for God that's going to save me, but it's what Jesus has already done. God loves you just the way you are. And even though that verse, Romans 5, 8, said he loved us while we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He didn't wait for us to even come to him. He loved us just as we are when he offered the sacrifice of his son. Jesus looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He loved us even as he was hanging, dying on the cross. The people who had just nailed him to the cross, he loved them and forgave them because he knew that they were lost. They were still in darkness. Not only did Jesus come with God's grace and favor, but he came full of truth. And the Greek word there is aletheia, which means divine reality revealed to man. Straightforwardness. This is the truth. And Jesus holds grace in one hand that allows us to be accepted into his family. And then in the other hand, he holds the truth that our lives do need to change. We are sinners in need of a savior. And God doesn't just ignore that. He doesn't sweep that under the rug. Otherwise, Jesus would not have had to die on the cross. If we just think that we could just be saved by saying, yes, I accept God's love. Thank you, God, for loving me. Jesus said, that's not the truth. The truth is, We are each a sinner in need of forgiveness. We are sinners in need of change in our lives, and we can't do that on our own. Like me, you've probably tried to give up a lot of habits over the years. We're coming up on New Year's, and we make a list of our bad habits, and we say, these are the things I want to quit again for the third, for the fourth time. I think at this point in my life, I've probably lost thousands of pounds of Christmas cookies, but... I keep finding them again, and then I lose them again, right? Some of those things that we do, we keep doing because in our own strength, we just can't make those changes. But in God's truth, he says, I know you're weak. I know you need help. I'm going to give you the comforter. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to help you. 
And that's the change that happens when we accept Christ as Savior. His Spirit comes into our lives and starts guiding and directing us and showing us areas that need to change, to become more like Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul explains that as we see God's glory, as we see what God is like in the pages of Scripture, we see Jesus Christ, God's very glory. We start understanding who He is. And as we look at Him, it says that we are being transformed into that image, that likeness, one degree at a time. And that's the part of the Christian walk that takes some patience because we want stuff done at microwave speed, don't we? We want it done yesterday. We want it all done quickly, and we don't want to go backwards. We want to just keep moving forward and think, yeah, I'm done with all of that. And then yet, some of these struggles, some of these sins, some of these temptations creep up on us again. It says, from one degree to another, one degree at a time, we're slowly becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's called sanctification. It's a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, and it's helping us become more like Jesus Christ. And it's because God loves us so much that he keeps working in our lives. He keeps giving us sometimes what we would call trials or problems, and we say, oh, God, why are you doing this to me? And then we see, oh, I'm learning to trust you. I'm learning to develop patience. I'm learning to trust in other believers and asking people to pray for me. I'm growing through this. How many of you have grown by just sitting and doing nothing? Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. If you want to get stronger physically, you have to put in some training work. If you want to build up your endurance in walking, you have to get out and walk around the block a couple times. Christian life is taking those steps of faith and following the word and little by little, God is working in our lives and making these changes. James tells us that even these hard processes should produce joy. And if you think about this passage in terms of Christ making you more like him, it changes our perspective. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Think back to our word shalom again, perfect and complete. You're going to have peace with God as you are more steadfast, as you feel more stable, as you have joy even in hard circumstances and say, yes, God, I know you're doing something in this. It's hard, but I trust you. You've been faithful before. You'll continue to be faithful. I'm going to lean on you. And we can find joy in our trials when we recognize that God, who is sovereignly in control, he is using these circumstances, he's using these situations to help us trust him, to help our faith grow stronger, to be more steadfast, to be more stable, and to see that in Jesus Christ, we can find completeness. We can find rest. We can have everything that God says we need. 
problem is we always think we need other stuff. But God says, I'm going to give you everything you need. You can rest in me. You can have peace that passes understanding when you recognize I'm going to give you everything you need. John talks a little bit more about this in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 4. And I think this is our last passage. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the Savior. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John is insisting that the reason Jesus came to manifest his love for us, to show that he desires for us to find incredible joy in him, not in things, not in our work, not even in our family that he's blessed us with. He wants us to find joy in him. And in order for that to happen, the gifts of grace and truth were necessary. The most loving thing to do for another person is to embrace with full acceptance humble truth-telling. Can we be honest with each other? Can we love each other by showing the same grace and truth that God shows us? If we're just brushing everything under the rug, if we're hiding things from our family, even from our closest loved ones, then we're not expressing God's love to them. If we're just trying to keep peace by avoiding anything uncomfortable, God says, share truth, but share it in grace. Share it as a blessing and love each other. Even though we can't see God, we can love others as his love is in us and as he's perfecting and transforming us and others. Finally, joy is a result of this grace. Grace is the way we're able to live with joy. As a father, I feel like I can identify with these passages about how grace and truth lead to joy. My kids are all grown and out of the house now. But when we see and saw our kids disobey, we saw them making the same mistakes we did. Often those were the ones I struggled with the most. I didn't want to see them doing the same things I did. So I would get even madder and say, cut it out. Instead of showing them grace, we get frustrated. But we ultimately want them to learn to follow God. We want them to learn that God's ways are the best ways. We want to see them growing to obey God on their own, not just because mom and dad said to do it. How many times have we known that our kids have done something wrong and they just hide it? They try to cover it up, they blame it on somebody else, and they say, I don't know. And you're looking at their little face saying, how can you lie to me to my face like this? We want them to tell the truth. We want them to own up to what they've done. And we want them to hopefully learn from it. And that's how God looks at our sin. He knows exactly what we've done. 
He sees the hurt and the pain that it causes us and that it causes the people around us. And he's just waiting to show us his grace and forgive us and give us a clean slate. And he says, confess your sins to me and I will be faithful and I will be just and I'll forgive them and I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want you to have a clean slate with me, but just come and confess your sins. There's joy when we're forgiven. There's joy when we forgive others, when we show that grace to other people, because grace brings joy. And knowing that God loves his children no matter what. That's the message that we want our kids to see through us, that even when they struggle, even when they disobey, even when they lie to our face, it doesn't change our love for them. We just want to see them following God and doing the right thing. Our Heavenly Father sent His Son to be born in a humble stable in Bethlehem because He wanted to dwell among us. He wanted to live with us to show that amazing grace, to share that life-changing truth. Jesus was full of truth, and everyone He spoke to heard the truth, and it says they marveled at His words because they'd heard nothing like it before. We can experience joy in our lives no matter what the circumstances are, Because we can be confident knowing that God is not only with us, but God is for us. He's on your side. I'm going to close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Some of you may have read some of his works. He was a well-known Baptist preacher in London. And this is what he had to say about joy. There's a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful. But this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. One dolorous spirit brings a kind of plague into the house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes. But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. This Christmas season, as we have one more week leading up to Christmas, I hope that you find at the heart of this season, this heart of Christmas, a deep abiding joy because of the love of God, because of the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus as your Savior holds the power to not only change your life, but to change the world and the people around you. So a couple of takeaway questions as we get ready to sing our closing song. First of all, does your joy come from your circumstances? Do you find it rising and dropping on a daily basis? This is a good day, this is a bad day? Or do you think about what God's doing behind the scenes? That God is with you through all of these things and that your joy can still be full. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. He had to repeat it. Rejoice. Find joy. Have you accepted God's gift of salvation? You heard how much God loves you, and he loves you just as you are, but he doesn't want you to stay there. He loves you so much that he shares the truth that your life does need to change. You need to be forgiven of your sins. And he wants to do this amazing work in your life, changing you from one degree to another 
into the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus as your savior, that's the most important gift of Christmas that you could receive. You can come talk to me after the service, or if you're watching online, you can contact me through the church website, but we'd love to see you know and accept Jesus as your savior. The next question is, when difficulties do come into your life, is your first thought, God, why are you punishing me? What did I do now? Or as you look at your kids and your family and say, oh, they're so good, they're doing all of these good things, why would these problems come into their lives? Do you look at difficulties as always a negative? Or do you see them from James' perspective and say, count it as joy when trials come into your life? Look at that and say, what is God doing? What is he teaching you? How does he want you to respond to this situation? Whether it's struggling with cancer or family breakups or whatever is happening in your life, can you look at that and say, God, I know this thing is not good. This is painful. This is hard to go through. But what can I grow from in this? How can I lean on you more? And how can I show that I trust you to the people around me as I'm facing this problem? Joy comes from knowing that God is with you in every situation. He's faithful. And as we saw in the previous message from 1 Corinthians, he's not going to let you be tested beyond what you can handle with him at your side. He's not going to let you go through something that totally destroys you when he says, here I am right beside you with my hand out Reach up and grab it. You can make it through this, and I'll help you through it. God promises that. Joy comes from knowing that he's at work in your life, making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And then finally, as Spurgeon said, when you walk into the room, do the birds stop singing? Does everything just go flat? And it's like, oh, we just had all the joy sucked out of the room. You don't want to be that person, right? Are you someone who shares God's grace? Are you someone that shares his joy? And when you come into the room, your face is just glowing because Christ is in you. You know people like that, don't you? That when you see them, you just smile because they're smiling? Like Buddy the Elf, why are you smiling? It's my favorite. He brings joy. Are you that kind of person? That the joy of the Lord is in you And you bring joy wherever you go. Not fake plastic, yeah, everything's fine, but real deep-seated joy. God is with me, and whatever's happening, I'm thankful for him. Do they see that joy of the Lord in your life? We have an opportunity as we finish up the Christmas season. You're hopefully going to get to see some family and friends in the coming weeks. Maybe the people that you only see once a year because that's all you can handle. Can you bring them some joy? Can you let them see that God loves them just as they are, and then convince yourself that you do too. I love you just as you are. If God does that for us, how could we not do that for the people around us? It's so hard for us to be Scrooge like that and think we've got to just hang on to God's love and his grace and his joy and keep it to ourselves. God says, I want it to just be flowing out of you. I want it to pour out and splash on all the people around you. Let his love and joy just flow out of you. Mark's going to come. We're going to sing a great song of joy as we close. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning that we could focus on the joy that comes from knowing you. Thank you for coming close to us. Thank you for loving us just as we are and loving us enough to see us change to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for the kids and the joy that they brought in singing and sharing scripture with us this morning. And Lord, as we experience your joy, as we know you, I pray that we would share that with those around us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, you may abound in hope. I ask this in the name of Jesus, the source of our joy. Amen.